There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 783. Uh, let's go over to the Nerdist Community Corkboard. I know how to say that. Nerdist Community Corkboard. Uh, first off, this person did not write his name, but he has a friend named Matt Parker who is releasing his second jazz album entitled Present Time Today. He says, Matt and I have known each other for over 20 years, and I know he continues to put his heart and soul into the music he writes and performs. The best ways to describe Matt is that he is uh, Farley-esque in his demeanor. He's an extremely kind and caring family man who has struggled, as many do, in the music business. Last year was a big year for him as he was involved in the movie John Wick with Keanu Reeves. Uh, he's playing in the jazz band during the hotel bar scene. And you can pre-order his album now, mattparkermusic.com. Also, if you're going to be in New York City, don't miss the album release show on Thursday, February 11th at 7 p.m. at National Sawdust, which is 80 North 6th Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11249. Thank you for including the zip code, man with no name. You're a good friend to Matt Parker, person. Also, this is kind of a big announcement for a very long time. Listen, I know how I have always been about sports. I know. I was very dismissive of it, you know, because it's not like I was good at it in school. And I was into all of the things that were not sports. I excelled at all of those things. So I developed a hatred for it because I don't understand it. And I used to shit on it all the time. And I shit on it a little bit in this podcast because they preempted uh, the X-Files with football. But that's a specific story that I think you would back me up on. But then when we started doing the podcast, I came to understand that there was a section of nerds who actually do appreciate sports. Fantasy sports, regular sports, stats, numbers... And so it broadened my horizons, and, you know, I was being the same kind of elitist douchebag that sports people were to me when I was growing up. And that's no good to treat the, to be the same way. So a man named Jonah Carey, uh, who used to work for Grantland, comes on the podcast a while back. We become friends. He's incredibly smart, incredibly nerdy about life, uh, pop culture, and sports. And then uh, Grantland goes away, and not that long ago I get a call from Jonah Carey saying... What do you think about Nerdist Sports? And I said, God damn it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the right person hasn't come along to do it. You may be the right person, Jonah Carey. So, premiering January 29th, right here on Nerdist, the Jonah Carey podcast. Interviewing athletes, comedians, celebrities about sports and more. I may even pop up on one. It'll be every Friday right here on Nerdist, and maybe we'll get him to blog and actually cover some cover some sports stuff from the kind of nerd-centric point of view because Jonah excels at that. He's a real deal, and he's a good dude. He's a kind dude. He's not aggressive. I just I didn't want to get an aggressive sports dude in here. He's a cool, nerdy sports dude. So I welcome you, Jonah Carey, publicly and officially to the Nerdist Podcast Network. 
starting Friday, January 29th. Thank you so much. I hope you all enjoy it. You will, because uh, Jonah's a terrific, terrific guy. This episode, David Duchovny promoting a show called X-Files, which you may have heard of, which is back, at least part of it was, when it aired on Fox. Thanks, football after show. There shouldn't be after shows on television unless they're about shows that I'm hosting. <laughs> but no post-show sports talk if it's jutting into X-Files. Uh, but the regular time slot will be Mondays at 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific and Eastern time on Fox. David Duchovny uh, was fantastic, as you will hear in this interview. We will get to it in a moment. You know, I do want to point this out, too. When Gillian Anderson was on, she drew a big vagina in the book. Because Clive Barker and a few other people drew dongs, and so Gillian Anderson drew a giant vagina in the book. David Duchovny signed that vagina today. So uh, they were united in the Chewbacca, the Nerdist Chewbacca Wookiee uh, book that has all of the podcast signatures in it. I am more delighted about that than you could possibly imagine, and you should be too. Here is the Nerdist podcast, number 783, with David Duchovny. Katie. The thing is out there. Roll it. Now entering Nerdist.com out with all of my flight booking. I had the 925 flight last night, and it was like the second flight to leave JFK of oh the day. God. American just canceled all their flights, but Delta Delta really hung in I there. was supposed to do shows there all weekend, and I was like, I don't think I should go. And no, then you, they canceled them. You were right to not go. And then people were like, it hasn't even started snowing yet. And then apocalyptic ice forest. I was, it, we were like, it, the forecast changed a bunch, and we were in Midtown, and they, they said we're going to get maybe... Eight that. inches. That was, you can say that's the way I drink. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, well, we was nice. He just requested a, a bowl of water, <laughs> and that was it. Uh, I'm I'm surprised you made it back this early. Actually, I thought it, I thought it would be like a day or two more. I was pretty stoked. It took 25 and a half minutes to get from 50th Street to JFK in a cab because no, no one, one was on, on the road. road. It was yeah. amazing. Everyone should have that. Anyway, it was like 65 degrees here yesterday. I had to wear a light jacket. It was really upsetting. It was really upsetting. It's cold for Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Did you just come from your star on the Walk of Fame ceremony? Yeah, isn't that what one does? That's, I guess, that's sort of a daily routine. Yeah, yeah. You go... do it again tomorrow if you like. (laughs) Yes, would you please go get another star Mm -hmm. and then come back? Yeah, get one for radio. Yeah, like... (laughs) Well, this will be the the cause for that. Yeah. We will do such an amazing. <laughs> no choice. Yeah, have to give me. Fox will tomorrow. have no choice. <laughs> They're going to start giving out podcast stars. Exactly. I think on the Walk of Fame. And what will that look? What will the insignia an look iPod. like? An it'll iPod. just be an old iPod. An old it'll iPod. look like a microphone, but it'll kind of look like a dong. So it'll be, a, and it won't be on Hollywood Boulevard. It'll no. be like. You have to be like in an alley off Argyle or be somewhere. Right off Robertson in the tent. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
<laughs> podcast walk of fame. <laughs> Saddest thing ever. Way you, over. You, you can't actually walk. No. You know, Culver City's very over, nice. Like it's, very, it. it's right near the courthouse across from the yeah. gas station. It's right. like right there, right in front of that mobile station. Right. Uh, thank you for doing the podcast, and congratulations on the star. Thank and congratulations you. on X-Files. And it's... Get, listen, I don't know if you're aware of this. But they preempted like 20 minutes of the show last night with football. Well, yeah. I mean, football, it's, you don't know when it's going to end exactly. So it's, it's hard for them to... <laughs> no, fuck to that. Just... <laughs> it should have been over. It should have been over. Do you, it's like... You got to hear the breakdown. No, you don't have to hear the breakdown. <laughs> hear the, breakdown. the internet is the breakdown. Well, actually, the, the post-game show was completely useless. I don't know if you, <laughs> if you tuned in. Well, the, no, I don't understand football. Yeah, well, the, the post-game show is, is, is meaningless and, and unnecessary. And then that happened after... If they had just cut the post-game show, they probably could have started the show on time. But It felt to me... Like you were insulted. Personally. I was like, like, like it felt to me like a douchey older jock brother's like, "Hey, sorry, I taped twenty minutes over your nerd show. <laughs> Fuck you." You know, it's like it just felt so like, "Are you serious?" Yeah, I feel like we waited like thirteen years. What the? <laughs> why? Why? Why tonight? Well, you didn't miss it, did you? No, I watched it. Right, I okay. watched right. it. It's like uh, John McMurray, who's a show running Aquarius show I'm doing now. He said. Uh, I can't believe it. The, the the football guys ruined my life in high school. <laughs> they continue. They continue. Right. It's just like an unnecessary TV wedgie for everyone, but <laughs> but it was great, and it was so uh, it was it was so great to see the. Because uh, I guess in my mind I thought, oh, are they gonna what what what's the new opening sequence gonna be? Are they gonna update? And it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Well, sixteen by nine. It just all right, Matt. You know, <laughs> one of those slightly guys. Different. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he it's is one of those different. guys. I'm, I'm not talking to him. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> it's like your chair just kind of swim the body language, just sort of iced him out a Typical. little bit. He's back uh, over in the corner he, there. He's got a conspiracy idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know he does. I mean it. Yeah, well, it saves money too to do the. I mean, it's it's a, it's a win win credit sequence. <laughs> it is. It really is. We already have it. You might as well just tack it. Why on. not? And it's the kind of thing where an actor you hate shooting a credit sequence. You're like, fuck it. I don't want to shoot a. I'm working hard. I'm doing yeah. the show. You want me to fucking go shoot a credit sequence now? <laughs> Can't you just take footage uh, from the show? I got. I got. I got to fall into a handprint. <laughs> 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 Which they shot in real time, right? Like they dropped well, you. That was, in. that was a good day. That was a really good fall day. into a handprint. It's like I'm looking at my call sheet. Mulder falls into handprint. What? <laughs> oh, it's the credit sequence. Oh, cool. Ah, damn all right, it. all right. I guess I'm gonna... that'll be that'll be fantastic because everybody tunes in for a credit sequence. <laughs> but you know what, though, you in a way you do because you, I, I probably like ten years ago. I was watching, and I had watched the original run, but, you know, FX was running X-Files every night. So it was just one of those things, like, when I would get into bed, I would turn on X-Files, and it was just... And the credit sequence, as 90s as it was, was so comforting to me. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the everything about it was just so... It just felt so, so listen, nice. Listen, when I watch Cheers on Netflix, I don't skip that. I let that whole song play. Every time. Every time. I'm, I'm liking you more now. <laughs> so the thing is, like... Uh, you know, like Modern Family's credit sequence is five seconds long. I think what's good about a credit sequence is it's like the show starts, you you, you get ready, mm-hmm. and then the teaser ends, the credit sequence starts, and you know you can run and go take a piss or get some food. Right. And you want a good, healthy credit sequence that allows you yeah. 
to go do those things. Yeah, and you know, if you, it's just that attention spans are so short now that networks are like, oh, we can't let no, for like we can't for like two seconds. Well, it's like when you watch <laughs> The Simpsons and they do the short one or the long one. When right. they do the short one, you're like, this is packed with jokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or you know, if you go back and watch. Like seventies television, they're like three Long. minute credit sequences yeah. that explain the entire plot of the show. Or yeah. you know, if you, uh, you sit through movies now, credit sequences are it's it's a it's a big question because when I when I when I directed a movie, I, I got some good advice from a director. He said, you know, you've got you've got like eight minutes to cat to grab them. You know, they're sitting in their their seats. They came here to care about something. They didn't. They didn't pay money because they don't want to care. They, right. They do. <laughs> they came out because they want to get take a ride with the story. But if you fuck around with like an eight minute credit sequence, <laughs> you're you're pushing it. Then you got one minute to catch them. Yeah. You know? So it's like James Bond has earned it. They can do that. That's it. Well, because people now enjoy that. And I think what you're saying is like the X Files credit sequence is something. It's just something in and of itself that people dig. I guess I don't. Know. It's its own thing. It's right. kind of its own. It's thing. like when they get the music. Like they love the music. Oh, the music. I'm yeah. like, yeah, fuck the music. <laughs> yeah, the music made the show. Yes. Yes. I the show's in. a hit because of boop, 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 boop. That's why it's a hit, people. I tune That's in for exactly that. exactly right. Beautiful shots of Vancouver. Yes. That made it a hit. <laughs> yes. True. What was the episode True about? Story. I think he was falling into a handprint. Yeah. I don't know. It, just... it was fantastic. Was mesmerized. What and chilling? that song... <laughs> I have to see that song on TV every week. I mean, I wonder, I, I wonder if Chris Carter did the Gene Roddenberry thing of like, I'm going to write lyrics to this so I get a share of this. No, the, here's the truth: is Chris went to Mark Snow, who who is the composer who who did that theme, and he said it has to be a spooky theme that you could whistle around a campfire. It has to get in your head and it has to stay in there forever. And they they fooled around with stuff and. It actually became like whistling. Yeah. It was like that was the whistling, and so he was right. I mean, he whatever the assignment was was to make like an earworm. He did it, yeah. and then Mark Snow. I was going on the Rosie O'Donnell show, and that's a long time ago. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah. There, there was go. there was a Rosie O'Donnell show. That's when she was still in love with Tom Cruise. <laughs> po- poss- <laughs> possibly, I, do, I, I I wasn't aware of that relationship. But uh, so <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't know much of what's going on. So. Uh, I was for some reason Rosie really loved the music. It was something that we were going to talk about, the music. And so I called Mark Snow and I said I'm going to go on the show and uh, Rosie loves the music. Are there lyrics to that song? Did you did you ever were there lyrics to it? And he, and he goes, "Yeah, it's uh these are the lyrics." He goes, and his name is Mark Snow. <laughs> he goes, "Lyrics to that tune are The X-Files is a show." <laughs> With music by Mark Snow, the eggs found. So those are those are the lyrics. That's actually not far off from what I would sing when it would come on, which is just X Files, X Files, X Files, X Files, X Files. And somewhere online, someone has probably clipped that on YouTube, and it probably has like five million views. Like well, people I, I, just I think it. you should, from now on, if you watch the show at home, you should sing along the Mark Snow, you know, top shelf lyrics. X Files mm-hmm. is a show. What is it? With music by Mark Snow. Yeah, I hope a Korean karaoke company is listening right now. I would love someone to karaoke that song. It'd just be like a 30-second karaoke, and then they're done. Right. That's what you need to do. That's what you need to do. Do you... uh, Did it feel... 
like is it one of those things where it just like oh this just felt like where we left off and they just picked it right back up but just we just slid right back in uh yes and no i think um i think mostly yes i i think we we kind of know what we're doing with that show and um but still, we'd been away a while, you know, since 2008. So it wasn't really as long as people think because they think it's from when the TV show ended, which was 13 years ago or yeah. almost 14. But really, it's only been like five or six so movie, years. Yeah. So it's less weird, I think, because we had done that. Um, but still a little weird and a little creaky. But, you know, every job that you do is creaky in the beginning. It's like it's just like that. So we want to rediscover it anyway for ourselves. You know, we want to make it. We don't. We don't want to just be doing something else. So in a way, it was nice to just make it fresh. It was fresh because we've been away so long. Yeah, I mean, nineteen ninety two, ninety three. All of a sudden, you start working a bunch, and you're on these two shows at the mm. same time, mm. which at the time was relatively unprecedented. Like that was a time when networks were like, "We own you. Yeah, yeah. You cannot do. It's changed now, but yeah. you cannot do anything else." Right. But here you are on this Showtime show, and then. And I always in the I'm talking about the Red Shoe Diaries yeah. also with it. And I always envi- like after I got into because I, I watch both shows, uh, I always imagined that they were connected <laughs> and that the narrator was actually what Mulder did in his free time yeah. on Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah. He was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go solve some X Files, but then I'm gonna go read some uh, sexy stories where people uh, have sex on a pool because, table in a Mul- fog machine." Mulder store. was sexless, so he <laughs> he had to- that was his- yeah, yeah. Because they're both both characters definitely felt like. There was something missing in their lives, yeah. that, like emotionally. Well, one had a dog, and, <laughs> and the other had Scully. You know, so. But what I'm was, not saying which had which. No, you don't have to no, say. You don't don't, have to that's will be a spoiler. No, I don't want. I don't want to spoil it for people. Yeah. But what was the? I mean, I imagine that show was probably just you shooting wraparounds, like you just go in and yeah, shoot wraparounds. Yeah, it was then, so much. It was it was cool for me as as a as a young actor because. Um, we and, and this is going to sound really just petty and venal, and I'm just going to say it anyway. Please. Because nobody listens to your show, right? No, 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 no. Okay. It's not us. like this could actually get out. No, anyway. this is just for us. Yeah, just for us. Yeah. But I would get paid by the episode, Yeah, as you do in television. And even though I would do like, I could do five episodes of Red Shoe Diaries, I remember coming down from Vancouver, where we were shooting the first year of The X-Files, to, to do like five episodes of, of Red Shoe Diaries in one day on a Saturday and then fly back up to Vancouver on a Sunday. So I was just so pleased with myself. <laughs> and I remember calling it my Jack Nicholson day because I was going to make like a, you know, as much money as Nicholson makes in an hour. Yeah. I was going to make for those five episodes. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> putting it over on the man. <laughs> well, that is it. I mean, when you are, when you, especially when, you, when you're an actor and you don't know because you could go another two years without working, and exactly, so exactly. you you really do have to hoard as much as you can because you just never know when that's going to go away. You don't know. You don't know. You still don't know. I mean, so it's a uh, it's a freelance job, and and uh, it's a lot like being an athlete. You know, you have a you can have a very lucrative career, but it it's, it can also be very short. Yeah, you just don't know how long how long it lasts. How long were you on X Files before you felt like, oh, you know, this actually I think it's... I could buy yeah I could buy a car maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is actually a thing that is, yeah, might be prob- around for a while. Uh, probably the second or third year, maybe at the end of the second year. Yeah, maybe really solidly in the third year when we started to do like it it it, it occurred to me and I could see that the shows that we were doing were just big TV shows, that it wasn't just this 
this niche sci-fi show that we were actually we're kind of making movies every week and it was like well this is we're doing something different from other television that i saw this was before cable really ascended and with really high quality stuff you know so for for a network to be putting out that kind of a production every week was crazy yeah i mean that was real well back then at that time Fox really had to prove itself as a network. They yeah. were still relatively young, and they right. really had they had married with children. and They had yeah. the Simpsons, right? Exactly. In the eighties, and then like the nineties, like they really kind of needed hit shows to, right. you know, God, that was right around the time where people stopped going. Oh, I think it's not like a joke network. I think it's like a real network. <laughs> I think they now. had they had Beverly Hills, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nine hundred two one zero. They had Melrose Place, yeah. you know, and then they had us, and and then. Uh, I don't know what's happened since, to be honest with you. But... <laughs> Nothing else. Not really. a ton. They still have The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> they still have X-Files. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if it ain't broke. <laughs> they just got to bring back Married with Children now. I think they, oh, they have all well, of I think Ed's busy. He's a little yeah. busy right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if he'd be yeah. able to... I yeah. mean, it is... You know, when you when you look at performers, even just getting on one hit show... Because you also with Californication too, it's like yeah. one hit show is crazy. We're like, wow, this is just this is you're in like the upper point one percent. Right. But then you follow it up with another hit show. That's then you kind of have to feel like, oh, maybe I kind of like. Do you feel like you kind of know what you're doing? Did you or did you just feel like I don't know? I'm just you know. Yeah, I feel like I know what I'm doing. Um, I don't feel like I know how I'm choosing or if I'm choosing the right show to. You know, like the next hit show. I don't know. I I just kind of go with my gut. If I I can see myself doing something, or I could see myself doing it for more than a year or whatever, something like that. Um, but no, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing in the professional sense. I know what I'm doing when I get on set. I know what I'm doing as an actor. Um, I know what I try to do. I know. I know. I keep learning. I know. I keep trying to get better. So. I kind of look at projects as how's that going to help me, uh, you know, do something new. How how am I going to challenge myself in some some weird way? Because you were on Californication about as long as you were on the first run of the X Files. Right? Yeah, yeah, about seven, seven years. Seven years. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I mean, it just it just doesn't. For some reason, X Files feels like that was on for years. Like Forever. twenty years. Yeah. You know, yeah. Californication. Oh, that I, a good. No, that was seven years. I think because uh, you know X Files just syndicates, right? So it, it just seems like it never went away, but. Californication is tough to syndicate. It's kind of dirty, you know, so it's hard. It can't really play on uh, free TV. So, I, you know, we used to talk about, like, at the end of the year, they'd say, oh, yeah, we, we got to go back and do the free, the airplane version of the show. I'm like, <laughs> this is going to take seven days to, to re-loop all, to put all these, I can't say, I got to say, mother trucker, every mother trucker. You right. know, it's like, it just didn't make sense. And they'd have to recut. Sex and the City syndicates, but I don't think Californication will ever play on free television. I mean, there was <clears throat> there was definitely yeah. Well, there was definitely more sex yeah, to I, cut I around. I don't it. see how it could. It would be like a very short version. <laughs> uh, here's a five minute Californication. This is about a writer who just has a bad day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, there's no and he's drunk and he's passed out. He never gets laid. That was a great show. That was fun. <laughs> I love that Evan Hamlet. Did you develop that show? No. But you were a producer on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they came to me with the uh, project and uh, with the the script. And Tom Kapanos had written... He was trying to do a show. And he had written this uh, spec movie script or like 70 pages of it. And it was his wife who said, you know, because Showtime wanted to work with Tom. And the, and she said, why don't you give him that 
spec script about that writer, you know. And so he did, and they said, yeah, we'd love to do this as a series. So he turned it into a pilot. I got the pilot, and it was right around the time I was coming off the X-Files uh, a couple years earlier. And I was kind of frustrated that there was no no comedies that I was seeing that I could do. You know, there was, like, no comedies that I could find to do in movies. I did Evolution. I did okay, but I couldn't really find... Even that, I was kind of a straight man. I really couldn't find my kind of comedy, like what I wanted to do. And Californication came closest to that, you know, because it was kind of... It harkened back to, like, the 70s and movies like Shampoo or, uh, you know, Harold and Maude, kind of adult humor. Yeah. Very ironic, very dark. And I thought, yeah, I can do that way better. They're not going to ask me to do... Night at the Museum. They're not going to ask me to do Dumb and Dumber, even though I wanted to. You know, I wanted to be asked, but it became clear to me that just I didn't have the persona or the look or whatever. It wasn't going to. That wasn't going to come my way. But I wanted to do comedy, and so it was. It was back on TV. That wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do. But I thought, okay, this is the at least this is the kind of comedy I want to do. I don't care where it's going to be. We'll do it on TV again. I'll come back to TV and do it that way. So. That's, I mean, that's so strange. It's so funny to hear how. I mean, do you feel like you got pigeonholed in some ways? Because your your appearances on Larry Sanders were pretty epic, and so I think from that, it's like, oh, well, clearly this guy can I, do comedy. I, I think it's 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 not so much that I can't do comedy. It's more like the kind of comedies that get done now, the kind of comedies that are popular now. The tone of the comedy, especially at that time, it was more like uh, it was more like Jim Carrey stuff and Ben Stiller stuff, which I love, but it's not it's. It's not me, and it's it's not what I do, and it's not what I can do. I couldn't even do it. So, it wasn't the prevailing theatrical movie release comedy that was happening. I can't think of a comedy that maybe I could have been in in that Paul time. Paul Blart Mallcop. Yeah, so, <laughs> I don't see me as Paul Blart Mallcop. No, David, think about it. <laughs> well, I like, segue? I, I like you as a producer. <laughs> I've, I've, I've ridden a hoverboard. <laughs> you could be Randy Blart, his brother. <laughs> Is much more intense, brother. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So you see where I'm going. So yeah. So California Cajun Cam was like, okay, this is a. He's like a man among men. You know, he. he, he, he I I can see it. It felt like shampoo to me. It felt like the '70s. So, you know, I know I we I, I'm sure we aired on the side of uh, too much from time to time. But like the heart of the show was something that I was attracted to. It was, was that funny guy, funnyish guy in that situation. Um, that was for me. Who was, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure part of the pitch was like, and every lady wants to hop in the sack with him. Like, that's an interesting idea. But he's deeply flawed. Like, that character, well, is a, he, he well, has serious problems. Well, Tom, I, I, when I got the script, I was like, okay, I love the pilot. It was very funny. But what's the show? I mean, is the show, is, is the show just sex then? Because I'm not interested in that. It's like, is, what's the comedy? What's, the, what's, what's leading us on? And he said, it's like, it's the relationship, it's the family. It's like, what if you got it right the first time and then screwed it up? And how do you get it back? How do you get back to happily ever after with the person that you're supposed to be with? You know, and I was like, okay, all right. I'll, I'll go along for that ride. Let's see where that goes. So that was kind of my intro into the world of the show. And then, um, you know, the other shenanigans just kind of, <laughs> you know, that's what people focus on because sex sells, whatever sex is shiny. You know, people... They're like dogs, you know, their ears, they, they hear sex and they go, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what draws people. And, you know, Showtime and networks, they count on that with tits and ass, you know, and it, it gets people to watch. But for me, 
and I truly believe this. The show was always that the heart of it was this family relationship, this relationship between Hank and Karen, between Hank and his daughter, between Hank and his agent, even a friendship. And that was really what made for me the foundation of the show and the reality of the show that, that I could dig into. And that was the show that I was wanting to make. Do you think there's a good cautionary tale in there about, you know, midlife crisis dudes in their late thirties, getting into their forties of like trying to, nah, nah. Okay. <laughs> nah. there's, there's, there's no cautionary tale in there because it, it always worked out for him. I, I, people talk, come up to me on the street and say, Hey dude, I am Hank Moon. And I'm like, Good luck, you know, so the, <laughs> because you're you're not going to be able to smoke and drink and fuck around like that as, and, and get away with it, because that's a television show. It's not real. Yeah. It's not yeah. real. It's not going to end well, buddy. Yeah. It's really not going to end neither, well. Neither one of those is, neither one of those is, it's not real. Right, right. I, well, but that's the, you know, I think that's sort of the thing, though, is I we, I think people, our, our, our generation, and of course the next generation, you know, we're granted this extended adolescence that our parents didn't get right you know our parents were adults by the time by the time seven yeah by the time they were seven they were working in a factory and they had three kids they were in the army they were in the army and they lived on food stamps but they uh but you know like my parents were like 25 they were already adults and they They were now they had babies young they had babies and now 25 is like oh you're a kid you don't have to do anything for a long time and it feels like it is pretty fascinating. You know, the, the concept of childhood is relatively uh, recent in, in human history, you know, b- because kids even go back beyond the previous generation. Kids from the Industrial Revolution on, they had to go to work at eight or nine. They had to go to the factory. There was no childhood. So the, the concept of childhood, it does keep expanding, but it's relatively new. We take it for granted. But... Um, it's kind of a new development in human history that there's this thing, this inviolate kind of beautiful space that's supposed to have created for children, which they have this kind of blissful innocence. Yeah. And it's a nice idea, I think, but not past 19 or 20. (laughs) (laughs) I just hope, I just remember being younger and I, and I would see dudes who are the age I am now. And I'd be like, what are you doing? Stop acting like that. You know, like just be more appropriate. But now now I'm this age, and I don't feel, I don't feel like I need to really hunker. Down. So I don't know if I'm making you know good choices or bad choices. I don't know. It's weird when you become that age. I don't think. Yeah, it's hard to know. You know, I, I think you just have to make choices from some sense of integrity. You know, some sense of honor and integrity somewhere, somewhere inside you that you're. You know, it's something that you make up your own moral code or whatever it is, but. You know, I'm, I'm I'm sure you're making some good choices. Uh, there's some decent choices. There have been some good choices. You're in there. a nice room. You this is a great some... brick room <laughs> with uh, a, a nice uh, carpet that we put think, down I to think absorb you're doing the all sound. Right. You're doing all right. Yeah, things okay. I just mean like you always feel like yourself. You always feel like the same same age. Yeah. You always feel like the same age. And my. Um, uh, my ex-girlfriend had a grandmother who lived well into her 90s and, and she would say she would say things that were terrifying she would go you know in my head I still feel like the same person I always was but I look in the mirror and I don't recognize this person my and father I, would say that to me yeah said the exact same thing he said when I pass the mirror I expect to see a 16 year old does that did that freak you out or were you like yeah that's just what happens well, when it, before it's happened to you, yeah, you're like, yeah, deal with it. <laughs> Shut up, old man. Yeah, come on. So you're old. I got a lot of boners to deal Have with. Get fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think at some point you you 
you have an image of yourself physically, I guess, or even spiritually, mentally, and you know. But time marches on, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to tell. Our you. generation's <laughs> much more health conscious, though, yeah. than the, like the previous generation yeah. didn't really. They sort of lived like madmen through most of their lives, but right. I think now people are more like, yeah, maybe don't drink everything and eat everything and maybe exercise a little bit and plan ahead yeah my mother was pretty much on the vanguard she we had yogurt for dessert oh wow yeah it was like yogurt (laughs) but she was she was an early health food person magda covney i mean you're yeah your mother was scottish right she is scottish she is scottish (laughs) (laughs) she renounced (laughs) they don't take that away chris Well, they almost seceded from the European. There was a from, second from, from, where it almost happened. Great Britain, yeah, yeah. But then no, yeah. So she's actually she's actually from Scotland. You know, she would say that, and it's weird. She is actually Scottish, but oddly, her parents came. And this is true. Uh, this shows the the economic savvy of my forebears. <laughs> they they came from a uh, a. Ra- uh, Post-war ravaged, uh, no, no, post-World War One ravaged uh, Great Britain and came to America for the Depression. <laughs> <laughs> Had three children and then moved back right as the Depression was lifting in America to go enjoy it again in Great Britain. They just felt comfortable that way. Yeah. <laughs> so my mother... Of all people who really identifies herself as Scottish, was born in Queens, New York. Oh, wow. Was actually born in Queens. But when she was two or three, they went back to Scotland. And then she, and then your dad. Was... Then they met in Europe after World War II. They met in Rome or Paris. I can't remember which one. They fell in love and married and moved back to the states with my dad, who was from Brooklyn. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so we, you grew up I, in New I grew York. Up in New York. Yeah. I well, I didn't know this about you, and I I uh, I did a little research. You have a master's degree, and you almost have a PhD. Mm-hmm. Did what's holding it back? <laughs> Uh, it's a little thing called a dissertation (laughs) it's a little book length paper called a dissertation I was in a PhD program Uh, I'm not sure if I'm awarded a master's I I do have a master's I don't know if I ever got awarded it because I was in a PhD program where they don't expect you to quit they expect you to get a PhD so they wouldn't award you a master's along the way Mm. Um, so I did I did all my work except for the paper except for the the dissertation so i did my master's work and i did my orals and i did i taught my courses and i didn't write the paper now this was at yale correct that was at yale so did you ever does it ever sit in the back of your head and go god you know maybe i should just take like six months and just bang it out and get the fucking phd and be dr duchovny yeah, I think about that all the time, but I think it would it, it, six months is 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 not enough. Uh, I don't know if I could do it in six months. I'm also not sure if there's a statute of limitations on my schoolwork. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I haven't really uh, ever investigated that. I've been waiting for the honorary degree. <laughs> I will take that. I, will, I mean, at this point. I'll take a doctor of letters, whatever they give you when they give you an honorary degree. And will you feel like, will the completionist part of your brain be satisfied at the point? Okay, good. I got it. I don't know. No, no, it's all bullshit. But, um, you know, if it had been, it really would have taken another year of my life at that time. And I just didn't. I just knew that I didn't want to be a professor, and I, just, I felt like I was getting old, 
not getting old, but getting older. And, and there were other things that I wanted to do. And I'd been in school my entire life at that point, And I was 25 or 26. And I just thought, you know, I'm, I keep on doing these things that are taking me down this road. And, and I want to get off this road. You know, so that was... I just kind of jumped. I never even told anybody that I wasn't going to write it. I mean, <laughs> you just stopped showing up one day. I hope that my professors don't listen to your podcast. No, it's just for us. I think that they're probably expecting me to show up again at any moment. <laughs> There's some poor professor who can't die because he's like, oh, he's going to come in. I don't know why I made why it. Why is he an European? I don't know. I just, so because, you know why? Do you want to know why? Yeah. I will. I will give you the matrix code behind my thought mm-hmm. because I know that your PhD was going to to have something to do with poetry. Mm. So I assumed this was like a European professor. No. Okay. It was it was English literature. So no, he didn't have an accent. Why are you racist <laughs> against me, David Duchovny? <laughs> I am not from here. I just became that something was a totally totally different, different accent. Yeah. yeah, well, he's very versatile this guy. professor. You started yeah. Italian and different now you're Okay, yeah, what's the problem? <laughs> nope. no, that's just they? racist. No, you're no a racist. Actually has that accent. <laughs> no, fuck you. <laughs> Uh, but it is, I mean, when, what do you have to, like, what's, what does a 300 page dissertation about poetry have to be like, what do you, yeah. what do you have to express in a PhD? And does it have to be in rhyming couplet? <laughs> oh my God. You could be loathing a meeting. Uh, no, doesn't have to rhyme. Uh, it has to basically be a book of criticism. And I, in order to sit my orals, which was a nerve wracking experience, it's basically like sitting in front of a tribunal of experts on their particular field they know everything and you are you are coming in there's six to eight of them and you're responsible for i think 10 of 13 possible subjects for instance shakespeare 19th century novel Mm. uh, 20th century american poetry so there are these big areas that you can be responsible for I remember I didn't want Chaucer, so that was one I couldn't do. I didn't want to do medieval poetry, it was two. So I added like 10 out of the next 11 I had to be responsible for. And this guy is sitting, who's going to ask me questions, is that's his field. Like one of, <laughs> each of these guys is a total expert in a field that I'm trying to front my way through in this 90-minute conversation, oral examination in front of these Yale professors that I would have studied all semester for while I'm teaching there I'm just I'm just filling in all the gaps in my education I'm I'm reading everything that I didn't read in these areas that I'm going to be tested on because the people that are testing me know everything yeah and they're going to catch me out they can if they want you can't bullshit your way through that well no they tell you you know they tell you like the gamesmanship is um when you start talking do not stop talking. Make them stop. Make them stop you because it's a time thing. It's like ninety minutes. So if you you filibuster, <laughs> basically, good question. But Shakespeare, you know, because I know Shakespeare, so I'm going to just go. I, I was. Uh, let me talk for forty five minutes. No hands till the end. I'll run it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was some gamesmanship involved in it, um, but I, I remember making one huge mistake that I didn't know until later, till maybe a year later. I didn't figure it out, but they didn't. They didn't call me on it. Um, but it's totally nerve wracking because you go in knowing they could kill you if they wanted to. Sure. You know, they don't really, I mean, it's not in their best interest. I mean, unless you're a real idiot and you're just not ready. Do you remember the mistake? Yeah. What was it? I remember I was talking about 
T.S. Eliot's um, plays, of all things, which I don't really know, I, and I didn't know then, <laughs> but I was spinning some kind of baloney about petrol, petrol being the English word for gasoline, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking about petrol and energy and something and this and that. And then later on, I found out that petrol is a bird. It's a type of bird. <laughs> Which is British for a lady. <laughs> <laughs> so I was completely, it was, it was completely wrong. And they didn't call you on it. No, they didn't. They might not have even, he might not have even been aware of that particular passage that I was referring to. But um, I just, I remember when I found out it was like one of those like white hot sweats that you oh, get yeah, when yeah, you realize yeah. I said the wrong thing to the wrong person. I mean, once you've done that, I would imagine the auditioning process is probably not as grueling once you've once you've had that kind of a it's trial. It's a different animal, you know, so it is it is grueling. I haven't had to audition in so long. I don't really remember, but but auditioning is is grueling, you know. Uh that's a different thing cuz you you know, I used to think I used to go in thinking they wanted to hate me cuz cuz I guess that's my nature, you know. I was like, <laughs> they probably want to hate me. Um, and then when I finally got on the other side of it, when I was directing, I wanted to love everybody that came in because I wanted to cast them. Mm. I wanted my job to be done. I wanted to find the guy or the girl. I wanted to find them. And, uh, so that really turned me around when I directed, I was like, no, it's actually, they want you to be great because they don't want to keep looking. Right, you know, whereas I used to go in thinking, "Oh, I'm wasting their time." And actors would come in and read for me, and they would be so apologetic and self-defeating, and they'd be like, "Oh, this is going to be really bad. I didn't really get this to like nine o'clock last night, and I, I have a stomach ache." Anyway, so let's should we? You want to you want to even do it? Should we do it? <laughs> should I leave? You don't want me. To I can go. And I would sit there and I go, "You worked on it. You 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 took an hour to get here. You took the subway." You got to take an hour to take the subway back, you know, like honor yourself and like, uh, let's, you know, you put the time in, so respect yourself and don't, don't come in telling me you suck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is the, uh, it's, it, but I understand it from my own point of view. I used to walk in like that too. Like, oh, this is going to be bad. (laughs) (laughs) Guys prepare to watch this. What was the X-Files audition? Um, that would have been like a number of different auditions. One was... For Randy Stone, who's who passed away, he was a great casting director, and uh, for him and Chris, and then after that, uh, they decided to bring me to the network, and then you have to pass the network, and that's really the nerve-wracking one when you have to have your network audition as an actor going for a television show, because it's basically a room like this that does not feel like a stage or anything at all. Yeah, and it's as many people as this in a small room like this, and you're you're acting the scene and they I really did feel like they wanted to hate me <laughs> well but the, yeah but the, net, the network testing process is so shitty and brutal and I always thought it's probably easier with a drama because when you're testing for a sitcom there are supposed to be laughs they're not laughing. and it's the coldest room so if you're already doing a scene that doesn't need laughs I always thought oh well that's got to be way easier because you're not expecting anything from them well I think in general that that's what makes drama easier than comedy because comedy it doesn't work if nobody's laughing it doesn't matter how good you were right you know, nobody laughed <laughs> uh, so comedy is 
is a different animal and and a tricky one and one that's really interesting. But uh, the dry, yeah, I don't know. I remember it was it, the rooms just feel like there's no air in them, you know, and and it's it is a brutal process and has nothing to do with with acting really. That's the that's the weird thing is that all these hoops are set up and in a way have nothing to do with what you're going to do when you show up and do your work. So you'd think that they'd find a way to do it so that you'd really get the best people for the job. <laughs> but that's, no. that's not the way it goes. No, and especially now. I'm just auditioning. Like, now is probably terrible if you're testing because now people have their phones to rifle through. You're, like, you're not even looking up. Like, it used to no. just be cold. Now it's cold and you're not even paying attention. Right. I remember I had an audition for a uh, a commercial early on, and this was in New York, so that's when I was starting. And it was for a... Uh, might have been for a soda wasn't a beer but i think it was a soda and you had to dance they wanted to see you (laughs) dance and i remember there was like a like a a rug you know like a rug you could hear (laughs) yeah and they had a boom box but the boom box was was not loud you know i was like (laughs) and i was in a bathing suit and it's middle of winter New York, going for a soda commercial on the beach that they're going to shoot somewhere beautiful, and I go and you know you had to bring a bathing suit, so you know I'm in a bathing suit. And I remember I'm like dancing, and I'm having many many thoughts. <laughs> One of them is, you left Yale for this, <laughs> and the other is, what's that sound? Those are my thighs. <laughs> I can actually hear my thighs as I'm dancing. It's that quiet in here. And they're just analyzing you I'm, the whole time. I'm, it's that quiet. The music is so soft that I can actually hear my feet on the rug and, oh, that's my thighs, too. Oh, yeah. Commercial <laughs> auditions, I think, are every... I think they're the culmination of every nightmare that people have about having to get up in front of people and speak. Right. Those are commercial auditions where it's, you have to do the most... Because they're like, be, just be goofy. Yeah, just have fun with it. <laughs> just fun. have fun. Well, what am I supposed to do? I'm going to turn the camera on. You just have fun. Like The casting associate doesn't give two fucks about whatever's happening. He just needs to cycle you through as quickly as possible. Just have fun with it is the worst, uh, is the worst direction Just have fun. <laughs> there's, a, there's a room full of other dudes out there in bathing suits. We're going to come We're in and do... We're having fun. Yeah. They're... You know what I hear when somebody says, just have fun? I hear... You don't look like you're having any fun. <laughs> I hear, listen, this is awful, so you need yeah. to just get through it somehow. Right. So just have fun. <laughs> just have fun with it. Make this bearable for one of us. <laughs> I, could never, I could never get around my own self-critic it's hard. to effectively audition for commercials because I always just felt... Like I, this is dumb. I'm dumb at it. There are big people who are. Well, they at would this. make you. They would want you to improvise. You know, a lot at those commercial auditions, right? Yeah. And, and it had, I don't think it had very little to do with what the commercial was actually going to be. I think, ultimately, I never saw a commercial where guys were dancing in their bathing suits. <laughs> <laughs> it was a commercial for H and R Block. They had nothing to do with anything. Exactly. <laughs> the guy just I never saw that commercial. <laughs> Come to just, think of it. It was, just, it was actually just set up by a wealthy, horny socialite. Well, that, uh, sadly, I believe that happens You know, with women. I do believe that, that there's a certain amount of producers out there that, that like to hold auditions for, for movies that are never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And they just bring in the... Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it's a creepy, creepy business. That <laughs> it's I, a creepy business. <laughs> I mean, 
at best, it's a creepy business. Yeah. At best, you feel like, oh, I'm really exposing myself in a weird way, and it's odd. Then the dark side of that is just infinitely, is infinitely worse. Well, I guess I, I should feel lucky that when I was doing these things, it was before everything was of record. Oh, mm-hmm. my God, yeah. You know, I'm sure whatever tape there is of me dancing around in that studio has long been lost or erased or... Yeah, or it would have been up I somewhere. I fucking hope so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but these days, Jesus, everything lasts forever. It's awful. Yeah, it's a strange... I mean, having been on both sides of the social media explosion, having, having had a career on both sides of it, it must, it must have started to seem so odd when that happened. You're like, wow, everyone's talking about a lot of weird stuff. Like, it, you used to kind of be able to exist somewhat in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it's not really like that anymore. No, I remember remember very distinctly walking down the street in New York. I don't know how many years ago. It's got to be at least 10 or 12. And I was like, hmm, everybody's really proud of their phones. They're all showing me their phones. <laughs> like, I didn't know there was cameras in the phones. Like, yeah, it's weird. I was wondering, everybody's like, hey, look, I got a phone. It's like, no, that's a good-looking phone. A lot of people are proud of their phones. Very interesting. They were just capturing your image. The entire world. I mean, it used to just be the tabloids, and now the entire world has become a tabloid because everyone wants to dissect and talk about everything. And there's no, there's and no. The whole relationship to photography has changed too. Oh sure. Um, you used to ask somebody if you could take their picture. You know, it was like an invasion, and it is. But there was an etiquette about it. Yeah. Like, and not just not just somebody that's famous, but like if you like the way a stranger looked, or you like their house, or whatever, you would you would. This is an intimate thing. I'm asking, can I take a picture of your things or you? But no. Now, I did a, an architecture project in school, and we, we wanted to take a picture of certain houses, like certain architectural styles. Right. And it was. I'd knock on the door and ask, right, "Can I yeah. take a picture?" But like now, I feel like fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just take like burst shoot. Just take ten photos, put it on Instagram. Can you get back in the house. Loading my shot, sir. Please, <laughs> this is a private moment. Try to get having... a Victorian without you in it. <laughs> Come on, asshole. <laughs> it's a nice really... porch. Get off it. I hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> really thought about that before but yeah because it there used to be so much of a production behind stand over there when it's like okay everyone stands now it's just because you don't have to but it was like literally me walking around the neighborhood like knock and knock on the door and i'd say hey i'm taking okay go ahead yeah not now fuck it yeah everyone everyone feels like they have a right to everything all information at all times everyone has a right to it well i guess they do you know everybody has a right to everything i guess that's true but I feel like... That's the Mulder in you talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess because I grew up in a different time, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I yearn for that. I yearn for that sense a, a little more. And I don't mean distance just as a person who's, whose face is known. I just mean a distance, period. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, so Shandling spoke at your thing, right? Yeah. How'd he do? Did he kill? Yeah, he always does. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, there's nobody funnier. Gary Shandling. He's so funny. You know, I've met him twice, mm-hmm. both times, oddly crusty. And I felt like it... You gotta I, crack through it. That's the thing. Yeah. There are defense shields. I have not successfully cracked... <laughs> I met him at <laughs> Sarah Silverman at a party last year, mm-hmm. and he was there, and, and uh, someone introduced me to him, and he goes, this is Chris. And he's like, what do you do? 
And I go, oh, I'm a comedian. I'm a stand-up. I host a couple. And he goes, I got it. And then he walked away. And I'm like, oh, you asked me. What? I didn't. I'm not trying to pitch you anything. You asked me. It's a good story. I got it. Is good. I I literally said like four words. I'm a stand-up. And I got it. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty uh, great. Nice to to see you. Did you guys meet because of the Larry Sanders show? Yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to be on the show. That was. it was it was it was, it began when I was doing the X Files and I used to get the VHS tapes of it sent to me up in Canada because I was obsessed with it and I just I it was thought, groundbreaking. I thought this guy was amazing. Um, it was. I mean, you you can trace like you can trace cable television's ascendance to that show. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the first show that is doing television in a way where people go, oh shit. This is better than anything out there. This yeah. is more real. This is funnier. This is smarter. Yeah. And I think people forget that, you know, because cable was smaller back then. Didn't have the numbers or the awards. But it had the freedom. It still does in a way. But like, you know, Gary used to get nominated for cable ace awards, <laughs> you know, not Emmys. <laughs> when now he'd be winning all the Emmys. Oh, absolutely. But, but back then, you know, cable ace and maybe towards the end of the run, Emmys finally started to yeah tambor's got enough yeah (laughs) started to acknowledge the show but started to acknowledge cable i would say mostly because of of sanders i mean there are so many things that are people listening have not seen i assume everyone's seen the larry sanders show but if you haven't you should watch it so you can see how many things are derivative of and like people still pitch shows and they're like well it's kind of a larry sanders take and and i don't even and i think some of the times people pitching haven't even seen the larry sanders show right they just (laughs) they just know it's like Show within a show, docu-style comedy. Right. But also just the idea of the celebrity cameo, yeah. which is pervasive. Uh, I like to think, you know, Gary and I did the man crush thing early. You know? <laughs> now everything's a man crush. Mm-hmm. Um, inside show business, that kind of stuff. But the thing about Sanders is it, it's just so so human. You know, Gary was so painstakingly real you know in the way he ran that show and there were there's no cheap jokes you know there's great jokes but none of and they all come from character you know it wasn't like sitcom set up joke set up joke set up joke it was like the jokes arose from the character not not the jokes yeah and um so i was just thinking well this is i've never seen a show like this and i just i just had had my agent manager call and say, you know, they have an interest in, in having me do, play a guy named me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I got the call that I could go do it, and they sent me a script, and I was like, okay, that's great. And and um, I just met Gary to work with him. I, he didn't had no clue who I was. It was, it was certainly was not his hire, mm-hmm. you know. He didn't know. And um, and I just told the story today because after he he spoke shortly about me i had to speak about me at this uh walk of fame thing and and uh i did um did a scene with gary and it's it's all very casual like two cameras and they're both kind of swinging around like documentary style and it wasn't the way i was used to working at all i was used to working much more cinematic like x-files like shooting a movie you know traditional and it was quick and i didn't know so much was going around and and i did a take a couple takes Gary turns and he looked at me and he goes, how old are you? (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'm 33. He goes, what took you so long? You know, I was like, wow. All right. 
That's really cool. Yeah, it was like the weirdest compliment and the best compliment uh, coming from him. And after that... It's uh, very hard to get a compliment out of that guy. Right. Mostly it's just, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I said, and when, after I told that story today, uh, Gary said to me, I was going to tell that story. And I said, well, I'm glad you didn't because that would have sucked. Because <laughs> <laughs> then I would have had nothing to say. You could talk about T.S. Eliot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Petrol is a bird and gasoline. <laughs> Here's your PhD. Light is you. energy. <laughs> well, that's, kind of, that's kind of shit I was saying. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I had a good day. I got my star on the Walk of Fame and a PhD. Right. It's like typical, yeah. you know, just typical Los Angeles right. day. Mm-hmm. So what now? Like now, are you are you still are you off from Aquarius? Are you off? No, I'm from, shooting Aquarius. You're right shooting now. Aquarius right now. Yeah. And when? How quickly did X Files come together? How did this iteration of X Files come together? Because I, I like, like the word iteration. I use that too. Yeah, I, I like iteration. Well, that's what it is. Like, it's just yeah. This I'm not sure what it means, but I like it. <laughs> this in car, this version of because I pref- I really don't like reboot. It's not no, a it's reboot not a at reboot. all. I just don't like that word. You know, it count as a reboot. You guys are all in it. Like it's you know honestly is that, is a, a reboot. A, can re- you explain to me what a reboot? A is? A reboot would be if they recast the show yes. and they change the graphics and they you know. But literally, what does it mean to reboot? It means to start something over, an old property. No, on over. a computer. On a computer, it, you you well, start it over. Like yeah. you 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 turn it off and turn it on again. Huh. You're rebooting. You're power cycling. You're starting it over. You're you're freshening. You know, because when you reboot your machine. <laughs> It closes down all the processes that you don't need, and it just okay. starts it fresh. Right, so it's not a reboot. No. It's not a reboot at all. To me, it felt like, oh, this is just an X Files. Like they just picked up, you know, like you got Mitch Pileggi. It's not a reboot. Some, <laughs> some, some t- <laughs> you get mad at me. It's Pileggi. <laughs> oh, damn it! <laughs> you know, I always say, like, you know, if you. If you're going to lose your hair, do it young because you will look the same age for uh-huh. like 50 years. That's what my mother always said. <laughs> she said, David, if you're going to lose your hair, like it's a choice. <laughs> I was going to do it this weekend. Should I not do it? But Mitch, Mitch still looks, you know, like he still just had a little bit of beard, but he looks pretty much He's the same. He's a handsome, bald man. He's he a is. very handsome man. He's a very handsome man. But it didn't, to me, it just felt like ah, a little bit of time had passed, but it's basically like they've, they've picked it up. Right. And seeing Joel McHale as a conservative pundit is hilarious to I me. I know, well, right? accurate. <laughs> 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 Matt, you're making a serious face. Uh, <laughs> just hope you can hear that through the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do, you do, how do you do that? Irony is dangerous, very dangerous. <laughs> so, But I think the thing that was so great about having it come back is that it really felt like by the fans, for the fans. So many of our friends, you know, like Kumail, who does X-Files Files, and then hearing that you guys on a break when he was shooting, which I know was the literally probably the greatest moment of his life. And, you know, he's on probably the best Great comedy show. on television Great right show. now. And he's a brilliant stand-up. But I know doing that, I was so excited for him to get to do that. And then you guys, like in the middle of the night, go into a tent or a trailer and just talk and then like podcast. It was a tent. For like 20 minutes. It was not a trailer. 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. We were just like, he's like, can I, can I, can I, can I record this? I'm like, yeah, let's just, we were just, let's talk about those shows that that we hate. You know, let's talk about all the X-Files that we don't like. So we started doing that. I don't, I didn't hear the podcast and I hope we weren't too dismissive of some of the shows that we didn't like but That's amazing we had a we had a fun time and he's a he's a great guy and um i love their show i, I love mike judge and i love that show do you, 
I didn't. I gotta listen to it now. If you guys are going through episodes, like oh, but he might have like gone over that part and just used later on when we maybe talked about stuff that we did like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what's so funny when you're on a when you're on a show that becomes like a, a force in fandom, and people see the show as very linear, but you as the performer, it's just. I would imagine it's like you're living in your short-term memory because you have yeah. to get through shit tons of pages every right. day. Right. And then next episode, next episode, so people are like, what happened in episode? And you're like, I don't... Did we do that? I don't yeah. even know. Did yeah. you watch the show? Mm, at first, I did. I used to watch it. Um, first few years, probably, I watched it. Uh, and then not as religiously after that. But um, I, I forget. you forget a fair amount. I remember strange things, you know, it's like life. Like, why do I remember getting a popsicle with my uncle when I was eight and I don't remember, you know, my fifth birthday party? Right. You know, like, shit that they really made an effort to make special for me. (laughs) And I remember this crap moment. Something is encoded in there that we, as humans, we don't know why. We don't know why we remember that. So making shows a little like that, it's like, no, I don't remember that great episode. I remember... Like what I had for lunch that day when we were shooting that episode. Yeah, lunch was really good that day. Yeah. You're welcome, fans. I hope you enjoy <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this look into the process. It was a flank steak, we yeah. ate it out of a truck. Yeah. Yeah, and then I went home and I fell asleep and it was <laughs> it was a it was a good day. I mean, when you're on a when you're on a show and you know like this is going for a while, I should be happy, I should be thankful this is going on. But then at a certain point, particularly like, like seven years is a long time to do a show. And then you start feeling like, I, I kind of want to explore other things. I want to explore like yeah. how how much of the struggle do you feel like I don't want to be disrespectful because I'm lucky to have a job. But creatively, I really kind of feel like I've yeah. done this guy and I want to go do other stuff. Well, it's hard for people to relate to, you know, people that have normal everyday struggles, you know, when they listen to actors complain about getting paid so much. Right. And, having such terrific lives and how hard it is for them. (laughs) So they did not have the cut of meat at the (laughs) lunch truck anymore. And I just couldn't take it. Right. So it's, uh, you you get it, you get it. It's, it's, it's ultimately, it's not a hard life, but if, but if you chose a creative path in life and you chose to be an actor, you chose to be a creative person. That's really what you chose to do. At least in my case, I didn't choose to be on one show. That wasn't, like my dream that wasn't what i got into it for i didn't i didn't think oh i want to get on a tv show that'll run till i croak you know so i i chose to a creative life and at a certain point after after seven years i think i started to feel a little less creative you know and and um i just thought it was fair at that point to say hey let's all take stock right now and you know, we all said this is too hard to do even five years. Let's let's quit after five, you know. But no, we kept going. Then there was like no end in sight. And I was like, well, you know, if I really am, if I really have my integrity and I say I'm a creative person, there should be no amount of money that should lure me back in a way. I should really go off and do, see what else is out there for me. That was really my thinking at that point. Because you've also directed and you, yeah. I know you released an album yeah, too. Yeah, it's not really... But, you know, I realize how from the outside in it can look disrespectful or ungrateful. But And maybe it is. But I didn't feel that way. I just felt like I was being honest. And I felt like, 
Mm, at that point, I felt like, well, we're going to do the movies. You know, that was always the idea. We're going to continue on and do X Files movies. So I didn't feel like I was killing the show. You know, I think I would have felt different if I thought I was killing the show. Um, but I thought, oh, you know, we all said we're going to stop the show at some point and do movies. So that was kind of my thinking at that point. Yeah. And at this point, you know, 20 some years in, I've only seen the first episode. I'm going to watch. I. But yeah. thankfully, uh, Fox sent me. Uh, they sent me all six of them. <laughs> um, but uh, that's what my professor sounded like more. <laughs> that was that was a better professor. Excellent point on the petrol. <laughs> Wait a minute, where am I again? Where's, people need to where see. Where is Where is Duchovny? We have to give him this doctorate. He's, he's, he's never showed up for it. I'd have gotten it just for the alliteration of Dr. Duchovny. Dr. Know, David so. Duchovny. That's fucking... Triple that's, D. Triple D. Triple D's a triple threat. That that would have been... Uh, I, I kind of wanted to see it in the credits, just starring Dr. Duchovny. <laughs> that would have been so amazing. Uh, yeah. That would have been so or amazing. David Duchovny, PhD. PhD. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's a... Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> But she's the, yeah I know he's a didn't doctor. I see him in a speedo and an orange juice commercial <laughs> yeah yeah that's he's what got his, a PhD. that was his dissertation like what that was the his... fuck is wrong with him <laughs> that was the orals what if you went into the orals in the bathing suit and you're like <laughs> listen I could talk about poetry I could just <laughs> maybe it's so weird they would go okay well that's artistic I thought in maybe some way. I could I could uh... gentlemen if you allow me to have fun with it <laughs> <laughs> can I have fun with these orals <laughs> just have fun maestro please <laughs> just have a good time listen I Lay don't to beat. I'm going to pitch you a crazy idea, all yeah. right? Here's my crazy. You want to talk about reboots? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with the Rodney Dangerfield 1987 vehicle, Back to School. Mm-hmm. Rodney Dangerfield yeah. is a millionaire who goes back to school to get his education because his son's there and he wants to. Okay. It's 2016. Back to graduate school. David Duchovny goes back to graduate school. You make the movie... Now you're a rich and famous it's, actor. It's more of a reality show, isn't it? It's a hybrid. Yeah. You're actually getting your PhD oh. while making this broad back-to-college comedy. Now, yeah. I know you're very excited about this. I am. Fresh off the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I'm making his serious face right now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, have you ever thought about writing yourself into just like the most opposite type of thing that you could think of for yourself just to do it um you know i i think uh i don't know i think of parts as being whatever whatever they're gonna be creatively are they challenging stuff like that but i don't think like willfully i I don't have like a plan of how i'm going to be perceived in a way that way so i don't think that i I don't think that I would have. I think if if it was, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm giving you a sincere answer to maybe a question that wasn't. Sincere, no, please. But I don't know. I mean, I I think it would have to do. A, a, if I thought the role would be interesting to play in a way, but um, I don't think of it in terms of like, oh, that's going to be so weird for people that know me from this or from that, because I don't walk around with that perception in my head of myself. I just kind of walk around unconscious, right? Like most people. So yeah, <laughs> just figuring out how to get to the next. Exactly. I gotta stand over there yeah. and I do this and I. Get at home and take yeah. a nap and, uh. so it, i've never really had had like a career uh like an overview i don't have one of those uh i don't have that gene yeah uh, do you know if manson has seen aquarius i sure hope so uh our numbers don't reflect it uh, <laughs> 
Well, he watched them all online when they first yeah, came out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then they complained that there weren't enough people watching on TV. Well, well uh, oddly, Manson has a Nielsen box. It's the craziest <laughs> thing. Uh... I I think he likes um, the voice. I believe. Yeah. Uh, I think he was kind of hoping that we were going to be after the voice. Well, he's really into the whole Blake loves it. Thing, <laughs> which can, yeah, yeah, he was very like, happy. I know he was specifically upset about all the stuff with Gwen and uh, yeah. and, uh, and Gavin. Gavin. Yeah. Sure. Gavin Ross. Well, you know, he it, loves Bush. It, <laughs> Race Blade Suitcase is his favorite album. <laughs> Good pull. Yeah. I like I, I think Bush is a good band. They are a great band. Yeah, it doesn't mean Charles, Charles Manson has a history of liking good music. Well, <laughs> I mean, he, he does. He does, and and he's a musician. Yeah, and uh, actually, in in this, in both our first two seasons, one we're shooting now, a lot of his storyline has to do with him trying to break into the music business oh, and, wow. and become a bigger than the Beatles. That was the idea. He was going to be bigger than the Beatles. We just uh, didn't know exactly how. He yeah, in a way. Out. I mean, I guess you know. All right, as a solo act. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a group. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of music a- a- around the show, and and some original Manson music, I believe, is is in the show. Certainly, the, the lyrics uh, cease to exist as one song. Wow. The Beach Boys recorded a song of his, but uh, didn't give him credit. And there was, you know, that that's kind of uh, ballsy if you take a Manson song and you're like, no, you can't have credit. That's fine. Hey. I'm just going to pretend that he's uh, walking around a jail cell going, got a machine head. Like he's just singing <laughs> songs all day long. But I think uh, Guns N' Roses or Axl Rose did a cover of a Manson song. Well, that uh, sounds right. Yeah. Uh, years ago. You're nodding. Oh, that's look at you. We have Look at Your Game Girl in the show. Oh, we, that's we awesome. Have the Manson character singing that. Well, look uh, at your game, girl. That's, that's such a that's such a. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like you could get. A, I feel like you could make a song like it's it's, a, it sounds like a like an R and B slow jam. It does. It does. That's probably where he should have. Look at your game, girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Opening for Boys to Men, Charles Manson. All right. All right. God, God, I hope he never gets out. We're so dead. I don't think he's. I don't think he's gonna. <laughs> I feel like he's not coming out. He's probably. Yeah. I feel like for the swastika on the forehead alone, they'd be like, yeah, you should probably not. Mm, slap on the wrist. <laughs> he learned his lesson. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I mean, good of you to do know. that in a mirror so it looks right. Yeah, it was pretty it was talented. <laughs> I would I would have gotten it wrong. I would have like, gotten it backwards. Fuck! <laughs> I just fucked this whole forehead thing up. <laughs> Forgot to account for the reflection. It's like now red I'm, rum. Now I'm just red rum. Buddhist symbol for peace. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's the opposite of what I was trying to say. No one's going to take me seriously. Well, what is it with the, with the tails? Is it? Yeah, that's the Buddhist symbol, right? Right, yeah. with, with the the tails yeah. on it, right? Yeah. yeah. Breathe in, breathe out. <laughs> that's not a Red's Blade suitcase, guys. You want swallowed or? Uh... <laughs> I had no idea what a bush aficionado you turned out to be. Listen, I was around in the nineties, guys. I was uh, too, but I don't. I was. I remember when they came out. Coll- like, collective oh. soul. I wasn't into Clippers, no. though. No. Me neither. <laughs> no. It was, just, it was just a name I remembered. <laughs> I had, had that a... one song that go, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Today, Dave friend, Matthews Man announced the new tour dates this year, guys. Sorry. No. Uh, I'm really yeah, excited he's shaking about his head. 25th good, anniversary. Good you. David, you're going to say something important. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a reboot? No, no. <laughs> no, same people. Uh, a friend of mine used to, uh, as actually my assistant up in Vancouver, he was very funny. And he, he, his answering machine, it was the 
Who's the lead singer of Metallica? Hetfield. James Hetfield. James Hetfield. He would. He would, His was like the James Hetfield answering machine. We go like uh, he go, hello. <laughs> Leave a message <laughs> after the tone. <laughs> I'll get back to you when I can. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is. I don't know if this is true. I wish I had asked them when they were on. There was a. There was a. I heard this story about how maybe there's a recording of it on YouTube. But you know, he goes yeah, yeah, yeah a lot in the song. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the producer was like, "Hey, James, you want to try mixing it up a little? Have bit? fun with it. Have fun with it. Yeah, basically gave him a have fun with it moment. Yeah. So he just uh, so he's in the song. He's like, "Woman, is that better? You know, like, like uh, okay." Just, Go back. Oh, is that for real? That's, for, that's a for real story that is I heard. That, I don't know if it's for real, that but that's an urban legend. If it Woman. exists, it's online. Woman. If it exists, it is online. Woman. Although maybe not. It's Metallica. They tend yeah. to pull a lot of stuff offline. We don't know. But I do. Uh, we have we have trapped you here for over an hour, and I want to I want to thank. Turn you the for... page. Great cover by uh, yes. by Metallica. Yes. Turn the page. Yeah. yeah. Garage Inc. Yeah. Garage Inc. was the name of that record. Yes. Yeah. You are a fool. Of yeah, he's a '90s guy. Yes, I've been there. You know, he, Matt. He Matt can there. tell you anything about Star Trek. Sure Star Trek: can. The Next Generation. Yeah. Oh, James Bond. I can, yeah. I can. I can do pretty well with the original Star Trek. Really? You, you want to ask me? I will stay here. You ask me three questions that you think are middling to difficult. Middling to difficult. Okay. What was Scotty? Not like Ben well, Stiller. So. Right. 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 What was Scotty's rank? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got an easier one. <laughs> That's bullshit. <laughs> I got an easier one. So on the on the planet where they were forcing the crew members to fight, what was the currency that they were using to place bets? Quatlus. Yes. <laughs> that's a much easier actually, one. We actually used Quatlus on Californication. Oh, you did? I was like, oh, no, that's too many Quatlus. That <laughs> <laughs> was expensive. I remember there was a scene with my daughter, and she came out with a dress. How many Quatlus? That? <laughs> that's fantastic. Okay, that's two. You got a third one? Uh... Make it, you know, make it stuff from from an episode, not sure. like what was Scotty's rank. I mean, he's commander. What was he? he? Commander. By the end or during the during over? the during the run, and he was third in command. <laughs> okay, when Kirk and Spock are it's on like the planet. Secretary of State. I mean, come on, Scotty's in control. <laughs> Scotty's data. Yeah. Uh, let's see something. Dilithium crystals. Dilithium crystals. Yep. Sure. That's an easy one. Everyone knows. Uh, hey, we in the show last night. Unobtainium. Huh? Unobtainium. Uh, so good. Ele- That's bullshit. What is that? What is that? <laughs> uh, what is it called when Vulcans have to mate Pond every far. seven years? Yes. There he is. I answered that is. before you finished there the question. He is. There he is. Vulcan puberty. <laughs> it's very volatile. It's the only time they're really, what, really okay, emotional. Okay, what does the old lady say when she wants it over with already? Stop fighting. Oh, I don't. Troika. Uh, Matt, he got, he got you. me. He got What's me. What's the drink that that little little baby, all powerful baby guy? Oh, Ron Howard's brother, Clint yeah. Howard. Clint Howard. <laughs> what does he drink? Is it all dead? No. He, he has like he toasts them at the end. He's like, right. ah. I don't remember either. <laughs> God uh, damn it! What is the name of the big lizard whiskey. creature? The Gorn. Yeah, it was easy. Right? That's very easy. It was too easy. That was easy. It was very. Easy. I love watching you guys bond over Star Trek. This is delightful. Give me, give me one more. Give me one more. Uh, I'm feeling good. What? What? All right. Here's one. What? Uh, what it is the Nerdist? What class? Nerdist? Yeah. So what I, class I came prepared. I studied last night. You did a very good job. I'm going to give you a PhD at the end of this. <laughs> what class of Starship was the Enterprise? No, you see, look, you didn't learn your lesson. <laughs> it said many I'm times. I'm not into the military. It's on a I'm not it's into a galaxy that class shit. Starship. Nope, that's the D. Uh, the D is a galaxy class. Right. The Enterprise. They hold on. Hold on. Ooh. It's a starship. Yeah, it is a starship. Starship yes. Enterprise. Yes, but it is a class of starship. Uh, D? 
<laughs> I don't know. It's a constitution class. Oh. Now, he wants a question about an episode. Yes. Yes, okay. Uh, Going with all this military shit. <laughs> <laughs> military shit. Uh, God, I'm trying to think of one that's like decently. Bonk, bonk on the head? That's a good oh, one. okay. What is the name of the grain oh. in the trouble with tribbles? Yes, I know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Duchovny is going into a trance-like state. <laughs> Quattro criti- criticalium. Oh, Quattro so close. Quattro qui- criticali. Cri- qua- you, you're transposing <laughs> some letters here. Quadro. Quadro. Give it to me. Quadro triticale. Oh, but you know what? <laughs> that was so good. I, I, I got to give it to him. him. I got to give it to him. He's going to get you. the PhD. Because, you. You. you know, if the closed captioning people petrol. were writing it out. Petrol. Made you're gonna, you're, that made up for the petrol thing. <laughs> yeah. That made up for the petrol thing. All right. And also, oddly enough, someone today just emailed me a thing of uh, all... All the times Vince Gilligan put references <laughs> to X-Files and Breaking Bad. There's Morley. I never get to break out my Vince Gilligan impersonation. It's, it's Nobody knows how good that is. Well, thanks, David. It's really great. That, it's really great to be Vince Gilligan. That, that is very good. He, uh, but the, the Morley cigarettes and all that, like, it, just yeah. rampant through, through Breaking Bad. Yeah. So you are also connected to that show. Yeah. Well, Brian Cranston came and he did an episode called Drive. Uh, where and this is before Malcolm in the Middle, mm. so uh, I don't know where he got Brian from, but I just auditioned for the part, I guess. And and Vince had written that episode, so uh. I guess that's where Brian and Vince first met. Yeah, I think that's where they first met. Brian had been around for a long time. Yes. Just, oh yeah, it's like kind of failed sitcom after right. fail, and there's like, oh, you know, if you're around long, if you if you work hard and you're Not around true. long enough. Not and- true. Brian is the exception. You yeah, know, that really doesn't happen. It's pretty amazing the career that he's found. Yeah, you know, so you can say like keep keep at it, keep at it, but it's it's really, it's 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 the exception to the rule that a guy makes it at that age after you know. So it's it's quite an amazing thing he's done. But but then Malcolm in the Middle came, and then you know his career is kind of, his career is very interesting. He's been he's yeah. been tonally in very different pieces. He's quite quite extraordinary. Yeah, and I think you know. Every time stuff like that happens and people, it just sort of widens the scope of the industry to not put people in boxes and go, oh, this person who did a broad comedy could now maybe do a really Again, serious you would drama. Th- you would think, but I think with television now that happens because people get to get to go out and they, they do these, they can really stretch out in, in cable yeah. and, and, and take chances. Um, whereas in movies, it, there's so much money riding on just one shot that people tend more to go with sure things because you know you don't you don't you don't get another shot yeah. in a movie or you do six uh, you do six episodes of X-Files and how many Quatlus did they pay yeah, they, they they paid me in Quatlus <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for All being Quatlus are vesting right now <laughs> <laughs> half in Quatlus half in Bitcoin <laughs> oh, oh you're fine then yeah, yeah you're, you're totally okay. fine it's gonna be great I'm okay well, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Thank you, David right. Duchovny, for Thank being you. here. Congratulations. Right. Thanks. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Enhance your listening experience with Wondry Plus. Enjoy ad-free listening, exclusive content, binges, and more. Join Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or on Apple Podcasts.